Um, here's what we're going to be uh, continuing to do. If I could get the graphic up on the screen. Um, last week, what I tried to do is lay out for us a pattern of, uh, of where we're going to be going through the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, in order to understand 1 Corinthians, it's really important that you understand what this kind of this graphic lays out for us. Because if you remember right, the whole time I've been talking about this issue of what Paul's seeking to address within the book of 1 Corinthians is number one, every single one of us in here. Every single one. In some way, our thinking is wrong. Our understanding of God, all these different things. And if you, and again, I'm just going to say this again, if you don't think your thinking is wrong, you are wrong. Okay, all of us have this problem. It's part of living in a fallen world. This is part of what makes all of us in here simpatico. It's what makes us the same, is that we're all struggling with that. And if you're not looking up going, oh great, the guy speaking to me also has wrong thinking. What are we going to do today? Sorry, but here we go. But with our wrong thinking, the beauty of what Paul lays out for us is that we have been given the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God. We don't have to go past what's written so that we can understand God's heart revealed to us. We can understand truth. That in other words, while all of us are in some ways wrong, God is never wrong and His revealed Word to us is also never wrong. So that's why Paul can say to us, all of us in here can think rightly. And in fact, in in 1 Corinthians 2.16, he says it this way, You have the mind of Christ. Powerful statement. But it's not just there, though, is that now where we're going to go is Paul's now going to address all kinds of issues within the church of Corinth in which the goal now is not just that we think correctly, but that we live correctly. That in other words, we take all the things that the world has destroyed, all the good things, which one of them we're going to be talking about today is sex, but you can interject anything into that, food or drink or jobs or money. I mean, slide it into that, everything that God has given us to enjoy, our world, because it is a world that is broken, a world that is, is off skew. The idea is, is that we actually, as Christians, can return it to what God intended it. We can actually make it better. Now, that's awesome. Everything can be made better. Now, to give us a running start into this, one of the things you're going to need to know is I'm going to skip over for just now. For some of you, you're going to, that are very, the, the type that are like, we can't miss this. I am going to skip 6, 1 through 8. I'm going to come back to it. But I want to start in verse 9 in 1 Corinthians 6. And let me just read this to you so we can kind of get a running start into what we're going to be talking about this morning. 1 Corinthians 6, and look at verse 9. Paul says this. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And the idea here is neither those that the practicing sexually immoral, nor the practicing idolaters, nor the practicing adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor practicing thieves, nor practicing greedy, nor practicing drunkards, nor practicing revilers, nor practicing swindlers, all these people that this is just a part of their life, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you. 
but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Amen. Okay, good. Everybody okay out there? You read something like that, and if you go, oh, that's nice, you got to wake up. The idea being we were these people separated from God, unclean. He washed us. He set us apart for an incredible purpose. He placed us in Christ so that we are perfectly holy in his eyes. And Paul says, now, therefore, I'm going to move into this and help you understand. It's not just what you've been saved from, but now let me help you understand what you've been saved to or for, which is so much more incredible than anything this world has to offer. He wants us to get that and to wrap our minds around it. But the natural question that would have happened inside of the Corinthians' head, if that's true, then why do I still sin? Why do I still sin? Now, just to be clear on this, as long as we live in this life, we are going to battle sin. It's why we can't wait for heaven. It's why we can't wait for Jesus Christ to return because finally for the first time ever we're going to be a group of people that are no longer battling with the brokenness of ourselves in this world. But Paul also is constantly reminding them we have the capacity because we have the mind of Christ to live like Christ, walk like Christ, talk like Christ, interact with people like Christ, not because we are Christ, but because we have the Holy Spirit in us that allows us to do this. And so what Paul's going to start with, and if you could just, just keep the graphic up there, that way then I'm, I won't ask, keep asking you for it, is that in this he says, now I want to adjust your understanding of how you're viewing things. Now, specifically, when we get into this, when they're asking the question, how do we keep going into sin? And I think all of us are asking this question. How is it that we keep going into sin? What Paul's going to do is he's just going to answer a few different things on us. Before, we're going to kind of answer this. Like I said, we're not going to really deal so much with sex this week. We're going to get into it next week. But he starts off in verse 12, and he says something so interesting. Off of that, He says, yes, sure, basically. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Now, why does he say that? How is this going to help me, what he's saying, for me not to go into sin? Well, if you look down there, the very first one that he says is he says, all things are lawful for me. Now, what he's talking about so that we can get our minds around this, it's probably a statement that Paul said to them is that once they were, they came to know Jesus Christ, they were following Christ, they were no longer under the law. They weren't under sets of regulations and rules and restrictions, to-do lists, all the do's and don'ts. He said, you have been set free from that. Now, the first time you're ever set free from a list of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations, if you're like me, your tendency is to go, woohoo, off we go. Let me give you an illustration. When I was 16 or 17 year old, I don't don't remember how old I was, my dad and mom decided to leave me alone at the house for like a set of like three or four days in a row. Yeah. As you know, I wasn't exactly a follower of Jesus at that point. And I'm still looking back at that going, what were my parents thinking? They weren't. And so with it, though, I'll never forget this. My dad sits me down. And again, my dad, I love the guy. 
if he just is this blunt, direct, here's how we're going to deal with life type of personality. And he sits me, I remember sitting across the table, and he goes, all right, Todd, we're leaving town. Yeah, Dad, I know. While we're away, there's no rules. I'm thinking to myself, no, duh. (laughs) But you knew something was coming behind that, didn't you? He said, but I want you to understand something. This house is my house. And while I'm away, while there's no rules, I expect you to operate this house with an understanding that it's my house. Now, the idea behind the law, us no longer being under the law, is that it's not so much now just that I'm free from the old law. The whole way the New Testament says is I'm put under a new law, the law of Christ. It's similar to what my dad said to me, is that sure, you're no longer, there's no longer rules or regulations, but now all of a sudden the law of Christ, we now are under this one, in which we understand about it when Jesus laid out the law of Christ, which has everything to sum up the law. You will love God and you will love people. That's how I want you to operate. Let me just kind of give you a little understanding of it. Go with me to the book of Galatians and we'll kind of <coughs> see what this whole thing is. Book of Galatians chapter 5. If, uh, if, you, if you're new to this, you don't know how to do it, uh, look at the person next to you and say, hey, help me out here. Galatians 5.13. Now watch this. Just a couple books over. What do we mean by this idea? We're no longer under the law. We're under this new law of Christ. Look at Galatians 5, verse 13. 5.13. It says this. For you were called to freedom... Good news, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, he says, what? Serve one another. Look at Galatians 6, verse 2. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Go with me back to the book of 1 Corinthians Hope if you kept your finger there. Look at chapter 8. Paul's talking to this group of people about how they're to interact and love one another. And he was talking to them from the standpoint that, that this group of people really thought they were the determiners of what is true. And what he wants to say to them in verse 1 is your particular knowledge has a tendency, he says, to puff up, but love builds up. Go with me to chapter 10. (coughs) Look at verse 23. He says it kind of again, the same statement he's made earlier. So obviously this is a statement they had taken from Paul and abused. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Uh Uh-oh, it sounds like before. All things are lawful, but look at this, but not all things build up. Go with me to chapter 9. Chapter 9 in 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 21. (coughs) He's talking about the law again in this instance. And he says, to those outside the law, he said, look, I became as one outside the law. He said, I'm not this one being outside the law of God. He said, but now I'm under something different. I'm under the law of Christ. Why, Paul? 
that I might win those outside the law. Now, what's he saying here? The idea is is that we say to ourselves, oh, awesome, I'm no longer under this law that used to be there, rules, regulations, everything else. And the problem is, is we tend to swing away from this law and get ourselves encapsulated into the law of me. And pretty soon, the freedom that God has given us, we use as an opportunity just to make it about me. And if you want to know why it is that we struggle with sin, back to our main point, is because anytime you get infatuated with me, you will always go into sin. He said, now let's think differently then. Go back to 1 Corinthians. Look at chapter 6, verse 12. And this is what I mean by this. Now you're going to see where he's going with this. All things are lawful for me. I can do all these incredible things. But he says, but not all things are helpful. See, the moment that I make this about me, this freedom that God's given me, just about me, he's saying up there, that's wrong thinking. God didn't save us to think about me. He thinks he saved us to think about others. And he says, I've got you. Now you go love other people. I'm God of the universe. I love you. I'm your dad. I adore you, and I am loving you in such a way now that you might go in a radical way, and you might love other people. Now, to prove my point, go with me to 2 Corinthians 5. Flex your fingers. We're going to be turning a lot. Watch what Paul does here. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Just so that we get the point of what it means to be helpful, what it means for us to, 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 to deal with sin. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, watch this, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for whom their sake died and was raised. Do you see that? He died so that we might, not, we might no longer live for the me. That's awesome. Because the me is my biggest problem. He said, now if you want to know why you keep going back into sin, is because all the freedom now that God has granted you, instead of using it as an opportunity to know God and love God and serve God, you've taken it and you've turned it back onto yourselves and you've used that freedom for you. And all it does in the end is satiate yourself and in no way at all will you find contentment and satisfaction that God has for you. So that's where he's going there. That's the first one inside of this. But it's not just this idea of the me here that he's talking about. But the other reason that we keep going into sin, he says, look at the rest of verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. What's he saying? In this, he's throwing out this idea that even good things can become enslaving. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. A few weeks ago, and I always talk about it this way, my wife had the audacity to leave me again. 
And so I thought to myself, I'll take the kiddos for pizza. That's what we're going to do. So we go for pizza, and as we're out grabbing our pizza, you know, they're playing their games, and then the pizza comes. And as we're sitting there dealing with the pizza and, and, and kind of dishing it out, they all went off and played games. And pretty soon I found myself eating two pieces of pizza, three pieces of pizza, four pieces of pizza. Why not five? If we're going to go, go big or go home. What do I mean by that? A good thing like pizza that God has given to us, bread with melted cheese and tomato sauce with all the vegetables and meats that you could ever want, is there for our enjoyment. But isn't it funny how I used it for gluttony? It became enslaving, which just to now be honest with all of you in my life, this is one of the things that I battle with. Food is good. I grew up enjoying food. The problem was, is that when I was younger and I was running, I was running 60 to 80 miles a week, you could eat a lot of food. I was just as gluttonous then as I am now. It's just that now I can't exercise like I used to. But Paul's point is, isn't it interesting? It becomes enslaving. It becomes enslaving because what starts to happen is that we have this amazing thing called the conscience which tells us the difference between right and wrong. And if we're not careful, these habits that we get into, we slowly dull and kill our conscience. Our conscience after a while starts, it stops to tell us this is wrong, this is wrong. And it happens in all kinds of life. Maybe some of you in here have either struggled with drinking or struggling with drinking alcohol. It is something, like I've said before, God has given it as, as, to us as something to enjoy. But our problem is we come home after a rough day and we think, man, I just need to kind of unload for a little bit. I don't want to go to God right now. I want to go to the bottle. And so I go to the bottle and after a while, one drink doesn't do it. So we move to two drinks and three drinks and four drinks. And what happens? We are enslaved. Our conscience was screaming to us, no, but we said, shut up. In 1984, there was a plane that was flying in, in, in Spain. Just, last night it hit me, I rhymed, it hit me tonight, the plane in Spain. Um, and as the plane took off, they were flying, they were getting ready to go over a mountain range. And all of a sudden, inside of the cockpit, because they found the, the black box that recorded everything that took place, as they're flying towards this mountain, all of a sudden, the voice box starts saying, pull up, pull up, pull up. The last words they found on the black box before the plane careened into a mountainside was the pilot saying, shut up, gringo. But isn't it interesting that we do that with our conscience? Our conscience says no, and we say, shut up, gringo. It not only happens in drink, it can happen in all kinds of other things. It can happen with the tongue. We find ourselves, the first time that we kind of gossip about somebody, or we use our tongue to destroy somebody, the first time we get done, we're like, oh, that felt so bad. But in the back of our head, we thought, oh, it felt so good. 
And so what starts to happen is we slowly just shut off our conscience in regards to our tongue, and our tongue starts going like crazy. And we wonder, why is our tongue out of control? It was because way back a decision should have been made when I shut off my conscience the first time about my tongue, and I didn't. I slowly just said, shut up, gringo, shut up, gringo, shut up, gringo. And now my tongue is like a fire like James talks about. It even plays itself out, not just in the things that maybe we, we do in that way, but like I've confessed to you, man, I don't know how many times I've woke up, I've gone to bed at night going, I'm going to go exercise. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. I'm going to get my time with the Lord. And then I'm going to go get my time with 24-hour fitness. The alarm goes off. The sheep monster envelops me. And in my conscience, I say, shut up, gringo. And we wonder why we get into the habit of not spending time with the Lord. We wonder why we get into the habit of these things. It's because we slowly tell our conscience, shut up. Now what Paul's point is, is that the moment you start to tell your conscience to shut up, it starts going into every facet of your life. In other words, you tell your conscience to shut up in regards to food. His point is, is don't think that the enslavement is not just going to happen to your food. It's going to happen to all parts of your life. Now, you can kind of see this. Walk, walk with me. Go with me to, to 1 Timothy. Paul's dealing with a, a guy, Alexander and, and Hymenaeus, and he's talking specifically about what's happened to them. What is going to happen if I slowly begin to just tell my conscience, shut up? Shut up, gringo. Well, in verse 19 of 1 Timothy 1, we see what happens the more and more and the more that we shut off our conscience. Verse 19, he says, holding faith and a good conscience. Okay, there's our word. I want you to hold on to those. And now he's going to explain now, well, what's the consequences of not? He said, by rejecting the faith, by rejecting conscience... Some have made shipwreck of their faith. We don't get way over there overnight. Our folly doesn't happen just one time. It doesn't just happen overnight. It is this long progression, Paul says, is yes, you're no longer under the law, but you have this conscience inside of you that's screaming and that while I'm not underneath the law, he said the reason that you keep going back into sin is because you're enslaved to it. Go with me to Philippians, just a few books back. Philippians. Look at chapter 3. Verse 18. He said, For many, he said, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. They now walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Why, Paul? Their end is their destruction. Look at this. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things because they've just kept saying, shut up, gringo. And Paul asks, why are we in sin? Number one, it's because we're always thinking about ourselves. And when we start to think about ourselves too much, what starts to happen is, is we slowly then look at these things that are good, and instead of being things that we use to honor God, they slowly just begin to enslave us. 
Let me throw out a couple more that I think are in our culture. Television. Man, with the advent of Netflix, I can watch 12 episodes on one day. The internet. And how much time does it just grab with us? And we think it's no big deal. We're looking at the news. We're looking at sports. But after a while, doesn't it just slowly envelop you and pull you in and trap you? Good things. See, in this, what Paul's talking about is, is that you were designed to give life to others. Jesus Christ came that you might have life. And in these good things, all of a sudden, we stop not only getting life, but giving life. And so Paul says to them, if you want to know why you're still in sin, here's two of the things with it. Now, in this first one, it is that we skew the word of God. But look at the next one, verse 13. Why else do we go into sin? In 1 Corinthians 6, 13, he said, look, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. What's that talking about? Well, in the first one, we use scripture to justify our sin. Now, we would never do that, would we? We would never grab a passage of Scripture to justify our sin. But we know that, let me just say this, so you're not wondering if I'm being sarcastic here. We do grab Scripture and we say, oh, this justifies me going out and being in sin. Like all the time when I used to be a youth pastor, hey, Todd, you know, the Bible never once says in there that God is upset with premarital sex. Can you find me a chapter and a verse on premarital sex? Well, no, I can't find a verse that says, thou shalt not have premarital sex. But if you honestly think that Paul and Jesus and Peter and all those people would have thought, premarital sex? Good, go get them. You are crazy. Why didn't they write about it? Because in the place in which Jesus lived and walked, that wouldn't even have been a thought. That wouldn't even have come across the radar. He didn't even have to address that. People wonder, well, Jesus never talks about homosexual sin. If you would have lived in Judea or Palestine at the time, there was no such thing as homosexual sin outright. Everything, they were stoned for things like that. But you start to see Paul as he gets into it, and you start to see him opening up this idea. And even this word that we're going to really get into next week, pornea, it just has to do with all sin outside of the amazing confines of marriage. But our world, like this one here, they said, yeah, food is for the stomach, stomach for the food. You'll hear this in our culture. On one end, it's they, they abuse scripture, but then we just buy into our culture. We buy into this eye. Why did God give me sexual desires if he didn't mean for me to carry them out? Oh, yeah, just go crazy. Why not? He gave them to you. Now, let me go back to this. He gave them to you, not for you, but for your spouse. He gave them to you, but not so that you would be enslaved. That's why he gave them to you. But they took this idea inside of them and they said, yeah, that's why we're going to do it. Now, if you think right now you're not doing that with some aspect of your life, you are lying to yourself. We are constantly using scripture and twisting it. We are constantly being bombarded by the world and the world telling us what to do and how to live and, and how we ought to operate. I thought, you know what, my six-year-old isn't struggling with sexual sin until all of a sudden I took him for a walk through the mall and we went by Victoria's Secret. Now for a man, you know this, you walk by Victoria's Secret and you're like, doo, doo, doo. 
<laughs> nothing to see here, right? But I was watching my son, and all of a sudden, it was just such a little man thing to do. He's all of a sudden like, I'm like, no. So I'm trying to figure out how to talk to him. And, and so finally I, I, I get down with him and I go, hey, bud, what are you thinking about? Okay, my son's never afraid to tell me anything. Those half-naked girls. <laughs> Lord, help me know where to go from here. I mean, I'm just sitting there, right? He was bombarded by the lie that said these women in these pictures that have been touched up so they look extra special, that hardly have any clothes on. The lie to him was, Josiah, even as a six-year-old, start buying into this because you know what? Sex is for the libido and libido is for sex. Just go get it, Josiah. Women buy into it too, though, don't they? They don't just put those things up so men will oogle. Women buy into the same lie going, oh, my husband will love me more if I wear that. If your husband will only love you more because you wear that, then you've got way bigger problems in your marriage. Paul's talking about this idea that, are you kidding me? That's wrong thinking. Now, how does he then move us into God's heart? How does he do this? Look down at chapter 6. He finishes that statement about that. How do, how do we not go into sin? And now he's going to tell them something about their bodies that is so important and so big. You might believe that the food is meant for stomach and the stomach for food. Fine, that's what your world tells you, but that's not true. God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. That's awesome. In other words, what he's saying, and you can even see it in the next verse, verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. How do I avoid sin inside of this, inside of this body is to understand that this body was not designed for sexual immorality. It was designed for something so much bigger and so much larger than anything. My body, he says, is for the Lord. In fact, look down at the bottom. I love this, what he does here. You can tell him. I'll try to cool down here. Whew. Look at verse uh, 19. At the very middle of it, he says this bold statement, like he said in 2 Corinthians 5, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. I go back to my illustration with my dad. I think if Jesus would look at us, he would say, you're free. But don't forget that when I died for you and you came to me, that body is not yours. And while you're in that body, while there's no rules and regulations, I expect you to treat that body like it's mine. That's God's heart revealed. And what's wild is, is your body that was woven together inside of your mother's womb, God meant for you to have it for eternity. Look at this. This body, now some of you are like, oh, dang. 
right? But the good news, they're going to be redeemed bodies and good bodies, right? Like some people are like, oh, yeah, one. No, but no, don't clap. But it's with it. Like in my head, it's just like, oh, good, Jesus. You're going to make me Adonis. That's awesome. No, it's not it. It's just, but it's this thing in which, don't you get it? Your body matters to God. And if you want to know how much he died for it for eternity. It's not just your soul that's going to be saved. It is all of you. He cares about every, every last aspect of you. And so that's what he's trying to get into our heads. And that's why later on in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he says, whether we eat or drink or sleep or whatever we do, we only do it with one thing in mind, the glory of God. That means none of us in this room have a right, even in the most mundane things, to take a drink of water or eat food unless it's to the glory of God. Can you imagine if before we sat down and ate, we went, okay, God, how do you want me to eat? Well, I want you just to pig out. Go crazy. He would probably look at us and say, eat what you need, not what you want. See, everybody tries to go to Jenny Craig to help them lose weight. What if you went just to Jesus and said, Jesus, this is your body. I don't have the right to eat anything unless you tell me what it is and what I drink. See, this is what Paul's getting to. Why do we keep going into sin? It's because we think we own ourselves. It's something the lie the world tells you. You own you. Be your own man. To which God says, no, when I died for you, I purchased you with the most precious thing ever, the blood of Jesus Christ. My yoke, he says in John 11, is now on you. And it's easy. And it's light. Now, how do we move then into living as God intended? I'm glad you asked, because here we're going to go. Verse 15. He's now going to take us to, now what are you created for? How do we make this better? He says, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Meganoita, never. What's he saying? Your bodies are a part of the greatest thing ever, the church of Jesus Christ on a mission to tell the whole world that not only their souls and all those other things matter to God, but they, even their bodies, matter to God. See, within this culture, what they thought was is that the body just goes away and we live with God forever in this soul state. Now, that's kind of like what you see on cartoons, right? The guy flying around in the cloud playing the harp. Aren't you glad that's not going to be heaven? See, what he's saying in that is your souls don't tell people about Jesus Christ. Your bodies go and tell people about Jesus Christ. Use your bodies for something bigger than just getting caught up in sexual immorality. Engage yourself, he says, in the greatest mission of all time, the mission of Jesus Christ. Look at the next one. Verse 16, he's going to use this word again. Don't you know? Now watch this. Don't you know, he says, that he who's joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. So when you do that, you miss the created purpose of sex. 
way back when in Genesis 1 and 2, when God instituted sex and what it was made for, it was made to be the most intimate and the most vulnerable thing shared between any human beings. Now just think about it. Two people standing in front of one another naked. So why did he say the one flesh thing? Because in order to have that vulnerability, in order to have that kind of intimacy, you also have to have that kind of security and stability that only marriage provides. Sex outside of marriage in any kind of way, God says, that's not what I designed it for. I designed the safety and the confines of marriage to be this beautiful place in which now you can share that kind of intimacy and that kind of vulnerability. And in fact, in that, that's why God said, this is good. Now you, inside of that, go enjoy sex, but make sure it is not designed to be outside of that because that's where we get hurt and damaged and that's where we no longer live the way God had called us to live. He's not going to stop. That's how he said how we redeem it. Look at verse 19. Here's another, or don't you know? This one's the most mind-blowing of all of them. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? Whoa. Think about the temple in the Old Testament. Solomon gets done building building it, and it says the glory of the Lord landed into it. And it says at that point, they knew something incredible. God is with us. Now, you may not have had any Shekinah going on around you when you came to know Jesus Christ, but I can promise you this. When you receive Jesus Christ, you also receive the Holy Spirit. And right now, you're a walking temple. Not to be played with. Not to be toyed with. this temple in which now I would say this, why did God do it? Because he wants to be with us. Right? How amazing that you and I in here, those of us that know Jesus, we have access to the God of the universe just here. Everywhere I go and everything I do, I remember my grandma used to always say this to me, don't forget, everywhere you go, you're taking Jesus with you. Theologically, she was kind of accurate. Actually, she should have said, everywhere you go, you're taking the Holy Spirit with you. But, so she was almost there. But the idea is, is everywhere we go. Now, on one level, that's encouraging, isn't it? On another level, it's like, oh, no. But Paul wants them to know, do you get who you are? You're the temple of the living God. What's the last thing he says? So then what? He gives us two things then, and we'll just finish with this. If that's true, verse 18, then flee sexual immorality. Don't go there. Run from it. Why would you settle for cheap nickels when God is offering you the bank? Why would you do that? And then the final one, look at verse 20. So therefore, with your body... Glorify God. Make your life a worship service. Use it the way God intended. 
Now in this room, and let me just finish this way. If you're freaked out that it's 1020 and we still got songs to, lead, to do, we're not going to do songs after this. Some of you in this room are enslaved to sin. I know some of you are enslaved to food. Don't go to Jenny Craig. Go to Jesus. Start to learn why is it that you do what you do. Some of you in this room also, and I get it, in this size of a room, three quarters of the men could be addicted to pornography in some kind of a way. You will never free yourself. The only one that will ever free you from pornography is Christ. There's some of you in this room that are addicted to your tongue. I was talking with my wife about this. I said, what's kind of the woman porn? She said, oh, romantic movies. She said, we watch these romantic movies in which these guys are these phenomenal men. She goes, what husband can ever live up to that? I know I was just in here. We're there. If you want somebody to pray with you today, as everybody leaves, we're going to probably have just some leaders mowing around here. If you want somebody to pray with you, we'd love to pray with you. Second thing is if anybody doesn't know Jesus Christ, you're still living in sin. The Jesus that I talked about today, you can be transformed. You know you're living in a broken world with a broken life. Jesus transforms that. He's created you for so much more than you realize. So if you'd like to talk to me today or one of these others about how you can know Jesus Christ, we'd love to talk to you. And then just the last thing. This week, what if we allowed God to work through us to make things better? What if? What if before doing anything, we just said, okay, God, how do you want me to do this? How do you want me to eat and drink? How do you want me to drive on my car with all the other idiots? God, what do you want me to do? Don't you think something would be different then about the testimony that we have to our world about Jesus Christ? Don't you think people would ask, what is the hope that's within you? And so I'm going to pray. I love all of you, but never forget, Jesus loves you astronomically more. Let's go live the way God's called us to. Amen? Father, thank you for this group of people. Father, I'm always blown away. I'm looking out over a blood-bought group of people that battles with sin just like I do. God, help us to quit living the law of me. Help us instead to live the law of Christ. Help us to live for others. Father, keep us from becoming enslaved. Father, protect us from how the world tells us what's true and what's not true. Enliven within us the hope for something greater than what this world has to offer. Father, I get it, that's a miracle. So would you do that miracle in our church today, in this just room right now, in your precious name we pray, amen.